Cloud Studio Fortress, high above the stratosphere. We discuss everything from the latest police tech, what's new in training, to off topics like why does my sergeant hate me and do these uniform pants make me look fat? Now, without further ado, your 10-6 host, Darren Logan. And welcome to the 10-6 Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Logue. Got actually great cast for you tonight. We're going to break out of our comfort zone and uh, got a new guest for you tonight. Kind of a surprise guest, if you will. Haven't really talked about it much, but uh, actually I'm not even going to announce who it is. You're going to have to stay tuned to hear who it is. So, but before we get into that, I, I want to hit a couple things. You know, I don't plug my training offerings a whole lot on here. I don't, I don't use it as a, a platform to, to go over our calendar or our scheduling. But I do have one that I want to throw at you guys. If you're in the area, uh, actually, even if you're not, uh, I will come to you within reason. But uh, this Saturday is our spring fling. We're going to just be doing some real basic classroom topics. Uh, going to go over weapon cleaning, malfunctions, you know, presenting your weapon from a concealed location, um, overcoming stress, front sight principles, things like that. But we're going to present it in a real slow, methodical manner, um, kind of unlike the tactical pistol offerings that we do. So... Just wanted to throw that out there this Saturday. Again, if you guys can't make it, um, not a problem. We'll, we'll Missouri, Iowa, Illinois, we'll kind of go anywhere. Just need to contact us. You can do that. Uh, email is logsolutions. That's logsolutions at gmail.com. So anyway, without further ado, we're going to take a quick little uh, break, and then we will be right back with our... We'll just call him our special guest. Stay tuned. Get up, get on up, get on up, get up, up your hands and get on up, get up, up your hands and get on up, get up, us right and come on down, get up, all the hitches all around, get up, get on up, get on up, get up, up, get on up, get up, us right and come on down, get up, all the hitches. All Get up, up. 
Get on up. Get up. Okay, that's alright. So, is it going to work out for you? Yeah, sure. All right. Well, welcome to the Ten Six Podcast, and uh, like I said, brother, I've uh, I've had about everybody in our circle uh, on the podcast, and I thought, well, need to get you on. But uh, we're going to refer to you as uh, how about just Colonel John? Oh, that's fine. That way, any outstanding debts or warrants. Uh, <laughs> yeah, any, any people uh, looking to make a hit on me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> But, uh, no, I, I, I tell you, um, you, you know, I kind of, I, I deliberated on it a lot and, you know, we try to kind of keep things upbeat and funny and talk about off stuff, but, you know, you've got such a great story and I don't want to take away from any potential book deals or movie deals or <laughs> things like that, but yeah, yeah, or prison time or something. <laughs> that's right. But, uh. No, you, you've got such, you know, you, you've you been, uh, uh, I mean, I'm pretty open about it. You've, you've been a mentor of mine for a long time. You've been somebody that, uh, you know, I've always had a lot of respect. And I lean on you a lot when I get, uh, you know, things presented to me that are, you know, uh, kind of serious or if I need a ruling right. on the field. And you're, you've always kind of been in my wheelhouse and... You know, I've got uh, a lot of young people that uh, are in the military right now, um, particularly the police arena, that have been listening to my podcast during some of their downtime and and whatnot. So I just thought it'd be good to maybe uh, switch it up a little bit and go a little serious on this one. Yeah, I guess be a little bit different. What uh, do you expect a large crowd tonight or what's a big crowd for you? Well, we we don't get we don't record live. We it's a podcast format, right? So we record, but on the average, we've been averaging about four to five hundred views or wow. listens a week. That's healthy. Yeah, yeah. So and a, a lot of our uh, viewers were able to track it through uh, some data mining software, but a lot of our listeners have. Uh, have been uh, a lot of overseas and a lot of uh, out of state. So, um, hmm. who's listening? We don't know, but uh, we appreciate them doing it. Yeah. So, but uh, no, why don't uh, why don't I sit back and and uh, if you would just kind of kind of tell us how you got into the the military thing, a little bit about your career, and and kind of just I mean, kind of lay into it. All right, I'll. I'll share where I can, and if i got to kind of dance, you'll know when I'm dancing. There's a reason for it. No problem, brother. But when did did you kind of start off? Uh, Well, I started actually uh, back in the 1968 time frame, because at that time the Vietnam War was going strong. Um, I had a brother that was in the... U.S. Marine Corps, and he was involved during the Tet Offensive, and uh, he was able to get out with his life, and <clears throat> I felt it my obligation that time to join the Army, and uh, uh, honestly, I wanted to be a helicopter pilot, um, so a friend of mine, and uh, we joined, we went up, took the test together, and Subsequently, we needed a score of 115 in order to technology uh, test to have 
uh, a score that would allow us to be helicopter pilots. Well, subsequently, both scored 113. Oh, man. And uh, we missed it by two points. So uh, I asked the recruiter, I said, so, hey, uh, when, uh, when can I come back and take the test again? He said, well, next year. And I said, I can't do that. The war will be over. I've got to get over there. You know, being a dumbass 18-year-old like I was, <laughs> right. I was going to save the United States. I'd watched plenty of John Wayne movies, and I was fully trained. So uh, I asked him, so what else do you have? And he started going through this booklet saying, well, we've got this, you're qualified for this. And then we got the part about military police. And I said, well, you know, what's this about? And he said, well, you know, you're a cop in the Army. So wow, that looks like a neat uniform. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> now, imagine if you will, <laughs> 45 years later, <laughs> but that's what uh, started my career. Wow. And you, if I remember, because we've, we've had uh, plenty of time over the years to, to, to sit around the campfire and, and, and exchange stories, but now you're, you're kind of giving us, as you would put it, the Reader's Digest version, but you ended up, when it came full circle, having a kind of impressive ending to your to your military time. Yeah, uh, I spent uh, time in as uh, enlisted soldier and got out, uh, became a civilian police officer for eight years, and then um, during that period of time went to college, of course, at night and daytime, whenever I could jam it in, and then... Uh, I also went through the ROTC program and was commissioned um, a second lieutenant in the Army. And, and again, the Army, being the um, outstanding, wonderful organization that it is, decided that I need to be uh, a race relations officer in the 1970s uh, in uh, Frankfurt, Germany. And basically, I said, this is about as crazy as you can get. You know, I've got. 11 years as a police officer, this doesn't even make sense. So I went in and sent a written request. I asked the Army to change me to the Military Police Corps, which evidently they had a smart clerk up there somewhere, and they put the stamp on it and moved me back to the MP Corps. Wow. So, so, and, you, uh, so you went in, got out, mm -hmm. got out, started copping, went to college, and then went back in. Right, as, as an officer. And then... I spent uh, about the next 17, 18 years uh, in military police. Um, a secondary measure that I had was military intelligence, and then also uh, within the criminal investigation division of the Army. So you worked CID, and that was kind of your end, end assignment, right? No. Actually, my end assignment uh, ended up being the Provost Marshal and Battalion Commander at Fort Bliss, Texas. Oh wow! So, and, and forgive my uh, lack of military uh, rankings and structure and etc. But your your final rank was Lieutenant Colonel. Lieutenant Colonel, and uh, you get you get a couple hands uh, saluting at you with that, don't you? I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, somewhere along there. <laughs> so. No, I, you know, I've got, I, I kind of stated, I've got a lot of folks that, uh, uh, you know, with, with my daughter's uh, current enlistment that are in her, 
unit and some that she met during basic and tech that, you know, they're already uh, six months into it and, and already talking about getting out and what they can do and, and you know, the, the military is not for me. And, and you know, there, there's a small portion that do enjoy it. But um, I, I think, as with any young person, now you got out, it sounds like, with kind of a game plan. Well, you know, I, I was in the same situation they were, uh, given, you know, what I know of your daughter and everything. And, and let me, uh, I'll, I can re- relate some of this, but I can't go too depth, sure. in depth on uh, the area that I was located at. But um, my first assignment was in Europe, and it was in a particular depot, which required military police and security and things of that nature. And a very uh, sequestered away place that allowed use of deadly force uh, if you happen to breach the wrong areas. Wow. So yeah. As close as I can get into that. Sure. And, and I, uh, I, I can tell you, after about uh, oh, a month or so, I'm thinking, oh, my God, what am I doing here? This is not what I signed up for. I'm not wearing that shiny little uniform that looks so great. <laughs> you know, I'm humping an M14 and... Uh, I've got a 45 on my hip, and I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere. So um, I decided I was going to take matters in my own hands. So they, they gave us something of a um, an opportunity to go pull what we call back then white hat duty or policing duties at another location within Germany. And they sent me to this one place south towards the Belgium-Lux border, and it was absolutely magnificent. It was everything that I'd ever hoped the MP Corps and the Army was, and it just I was just absolutely enamored with it. And uh, I told the, the people there, they're like, man, we wish you could stay. You've got all this experience. You know, we really we want you to be around. And I'm like, well, honestly, I don't have any experience because I was just a new uh, MP, but I just – I, I – really gleaned the police work and was able to to uh, grasp it quickly uh, i guess because of my interest level in it sure but the whole point being is they said well there's uh, there is a way this recruiter for the unit says you can take a short reenlistment for 6 months you can name that specific uh unit you want to go to and boom you know you will come to here give me the paperwork let me sign right right and i quickly signed up now, you know, and, and I had tried something prior to that. I had gone into my first sergeant's uh, office there in that particular location, and, and I had filled out the paperwork volunteering for Vietnam. And I went in, first sergeant sitting there writing, smoking a cigarette, and he's like, what do you want? And I said, I want to volunteer for Vietnam. He said, you got the paperwork filled out? Sure do, first sergeant. He said, put it in that stack right over there. And this thing almost reached the ceiling. Wow. And I said, so when can I expect to get an answer? He said, about the time you get out of the military. He said, get your ass back to work. That was my introduction there. So this other gave me a a method at least to get it done. And I did that, and that's how I ended up. um, You know, in the particular unit that that I wanted to be in and I, I quickly uh, grasped on it. I, I started out just a road officer, went to patrol supervisor, and then was a desk sergeant uh, within eight months. 
Wow, that's impressive. See, I did not know that about you. I, I knew. Now it's like Paul Harvey. Now, now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> Page two, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, that's that's amazing, man. And then, how old was you when you finally finally got out of the military? I was uh, I was right about twenty, almost twenty one years old, um, and it was uh, of course a time that uh, our nation was in upheaval. We had uh, the war in Vietnam still going, and and we had demonstrations. I mean, it was crazy. Uh, much like what you see now, demonstrations only for different reasons. But then it was a unified front against the war in Vietnam. Right. And anybody that came home in a uniform became the enemy. Um, I had uh, sustained some uh, fairly significant injuries and uh, during the latter part of my tour and came home on crutches. And as I uh, got off the plane in New York City, there was a uh, Special Forces guy, a Green Beret, and a Ranger. They were just coming back from tour in Vietnam. They were helping me down with my luggage and with me on crutches. And, and as we got into the airport in New York, there was a individual there with uh, you know all the appropriate attire at the time, the, the uh, uh, flowing locks of hair and uh, the, the flowers and the hippie, and he was screaming and cussing at us, and he spit on me. Wow. And the two guys let go of me long enough to grab him, uh, <laughs> turn him upside down. There was a large trash receptacle over by one of the doors, and they turned him upside and crammed him inside the trash receptacle. <laughs> and <laughs> I kind of had to smile, but also I looked, and there was a New York City cop standing there. I'm thinking, oh, crap, we're in trouble. So he walked over to us, and he said, uh, you guys headed out on your flights? I'm like, yeah. As soon as we get this guy was the other guy was screaming upside down the trash can. <laughs> right. He looked at us. He just grinned and he said, "101st Airborne, you guys have a good day." Wow, very cool. And then we, <laughs> very we walked cool. off. Very cool. So that was your your as with many your your welcome home. Yeah, that was the uh, hi. How you doing? Now the second time you got out, and and that's where. You know, that's the part where I, I, I guess I didn't know that about you. But after the second time you got out, when was that? That was in 1997. Okay. Um, I was trying to do the math, and mm -hmm. I, I've seen a lot of your photos and a lot of the stuff in your office and, and whatnot. So I was trying to kind of put an age to it, but I figured it was probably late 90s. And, right, and right. So late 90s is when you got out with that that uh full bird and and that last assignment you said was in germany is yeah the, the the assignment i had there was in germany was uh back uh late 60s early 70s when i left out of there um i've been in southeast asia been central south america i've been uh bosnia and a few other places in between and when you got out, um, did you immediately go back to law enforcement? Uh, yes. Uh, I stepped. <laughs> Actually, I'd had like four offers before I could get from uh, where I'd retired at in Texas to drive home. My phone, uh, cell phone was ringing like mad. 
And it, and if you can remember the old Kia type brick phones, that's that's oh yeah, carried. yeah, yeah. Like you're calling it, like, like you're calling in an airstrike. You got it, one of those. So uh, I'd had four offers on the way, and I, I accepted one with the attorney general as a senior fraud investigator. Oh, okay, all right, all right. I remember that. So, so you uh, you went to the AG, and then um, what? Was the Joplin thing? Um, that was after I got out uh, the first time as an enlisted soldier. I I went to work as a deputy sheriff um, at a whopping four hundred dollars a month. Oh wow! And then uh, actually, actually, though, it's not much better than that now. But go ahead. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> and, and then I uh, changed after about a year. I changed from that to a uh, police department there that paid. Uh, I got a huge raise of like five hundred and fifty dollars per month and a box of ammo, no less, every month. Outstanding. <laughs> yeah, got your fifty. I mean, you got to account for the benefits. Yeah, of course, they did pay for all of our insurance, which now would amount to about half a cop's salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then, then I left and, and I went to work um, at the uh, police department, the larger department. And uh, actually, when I left that department after five years, I'd been a uh, road officer, traffic, and a detective. And after I left that department uh, to come back in as a second lieutenant, I had to take a pay cut to come back in the Army. Oh, you can yeah. That. I, actually, I do. That does that does make I sense. I mean, it was, it was horrible under the Carter administration, and it just, I mean, the conditions were deplorable. I was hoping it would have gotten better, but it was bad. Wow. You know, I'm really surprised that, uh, looking at this timeline, because you and I met, uh, I think the year was 2005, I believe so. Yeah, two thousand five. So you, uh, you actually, in the grand scheme of things, hadn't been out of the military too awfully long. No, no I mean, I had, uh, I had uh, been out about eight years at that point. Of course, I had gone through many revelations of, of different places that I was working. Um, it was kind of like I, I was in a place for about a year, two years, whatever, and got a better offer, better offer, and continued to climb uh, the ladder, I guess, to whatever you you know deem as success anyway. Right, right. Now, you and I, uh, when, when our paths crossed, and we don't have to get into details with it either, but, um, you know, I always tell folks that... Uh, you know, I was in a really, really bad spot uh, working narcotics, and and for the folks that are listening, uh, I didn't really have anybody to turn to because of, of some of the things that I had uncovered, and I went to a, a, a individual, and they advised to get a hold of you, and that's kind of how our our paths uh, met, and uh, you know, we had worked that case I think for another year, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a pretty pretty hairy pretty hairy deal but you know what a lot of folks don't realize that uh, you know we worked we'll just call it mid-missouri but you know we had dabbled with well not not we i had dabbled with some human trafficking cases you had worked uh quite a few of them and as far mm-hmm. as the narcotics cases um you know i tell folks all the time that 
that some of these amounts and some of the caliber of crimes and individuals we were dealing with, you just wouldn't imagine happens in mid-Missouri. No, people people don't understand that it's a distribution point. Um, and I can say that having been across the border in Juarez and uh, different locations within the Mexico sphere and then Panama and, and some other areas. And, and, of course, there you've got a generation of drugs that are populated throughout those countries, shipped through pipelines that enter through various ports and then are transported. Uh, some of the major areas uh, that they, they push drugs through um, is through I-44, 70, uh, and then coming up 55 from up towards St. Louis, and then, of course, they break out from there. But these are huge pipelines uh, used by the traffickers uh, from multiple nations. How big, and, and I vaguely I, I vaguely remember the amount. I remember the, the stop very well. Uh, but we were working interdiction um, s- several several times on that corridor. Uh, you guys call it the what the I forty I forty four corridor. Yes. But what was that semi load that that you guys popped? Uh, how much How much was that? Do you remember? There was a, uh, a particular officer uh, from a department that was doing a a check. Uh, what well, late one night and uh, saw two Hispanic males and um, by a car and he took off. They took off running and one of the Hispanic males, being the Einstein that he was, punched the little button, thinking he locked the car. Instead, he hit the trunk release. And lo and behold, uh, here's 10.1 million dollars worth of dope in his car, mm-hmm. uh, worth of meth and and cocaine. And there was a truck that literally was turning left, another vehicle turning right. The officer picked the wrong one, but as when when I picked the dope up along with the other DEA agents, we, we transported this to the location it needed to be at. Mm-hmm. Uh, they followed through that particular case and were able to uh, determine who shipped it. Uh, they recovered a plane in Winslow, Arizona with drugs, and it continued to go on down into... Uh, across the border yep. and uh, were able to recover some of the individuals involved in that particular case. And it, it, it spanned out into Wichita, Kansas and other locations. Yeah, I remember it being a pretty, pretty huge, uh, pretty huge pop. But, you know, that's another reason why I kind of wanted to get you on. Like I said, uh, you know, you, you and I were, um, you know, boots on the ground, as you would put it, with with a lot of stuff and you know you, you far more than, than me i mean my capacity was was limited but we still had some pretty high profile stuff together and like i said i just don't think people realize uh what goes on you, you know right under their nose and that was kind of my prelude if you will if you if you remember i do a lot of training on the side and mm-hmm. we don't talk about it a whole lot uh, during my podcast, I, I don't try to use it as a platform to advertise my training. Um, but I, I, I wanted to throw this out there just to kind of get your two cents. But I uh, advertised a class for last Saturday, and it's a class that I developed when I was still at the University of Missouri. And I've just kind of continued to evolve it over the years. 
And I've evolved it so much that it's now kind of just strictly targeted for women. Um, but it's called Women Developing a Tactical Mindset. And what this class really focuses a lot on is it's not a gun class. It's not a self-defense class. It's just about kind of taking note of your surroundings and, and kind of like situational awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of creating your own uh, OODA or OODA loop and, um, you know, just kind of not getting complacent with your day-to-day routines. And if something, you know, heaven forbid, pardon the phrase, shit hits the fan, um, you know, if you're not a gun toter and you're not a black belt ninja taekwondo expert, what are your other options? Uh, because you opted not to not to go with the you know the other two, um, come full circle on that. I had zero people enroll for this class Saturday, none. I could believe it. Well, one thing, you know, here's my personal uh, observations after 45 years in this field. I see um, kind of a mindset, a change of uh, training. And that, okay, I've got to punch a ticket now. I've got to have X number of many hours. I've got to have those hours in these specific areas, and that's what I'm going to do. I will get that. Very few people look and say, oh, crap, they're offering this one class down here, and I really want to take that, but it, you know, it may not actually uh, fit into my ticket punch here, but it, but it does help me you know, become better as a cop. I, I, unfortunately, we get a lot of folks that just don't want to go that extra mile or put the extra push into it, and I got it. I mean, I've been out there. I've humped the road. I understand what it's like uh, to have to work day and night, and, and if you've got a family, it puts such a stress on them that it's it's phenomenal, and, and it does create uh, issues surrounding that. But if, if you're ever going to progress your career and, and the, the uh, I guess, the, the way your family enjoys your fruits is, is to participate with this. you got to make them part of it. Well, and, and, you know, and a lot of times they just don't want to, to give the extra effort. You know, and these classes that I've been developing are not geared, uh, e- even though I still do some of the Peace uh, Officer uh, Continuing Ed, these classes are geared towards civilians who don't don't have any uh, you know training to speak of in, in those areas, and it's given them an opportunity to educate themselves in something that you know you're not going to get you know in, in too many places. And, and people, I, I just can't believe with the riots and uh, you know the the shootings and and all that stuff that that folks wouldn't want to prepare themselves a little bit more and you know if you're not a gun person or you're not a uh you know hands-on self-defense uh person you know i get it not, it's not everybody's saying and you know a lot of it has to do with how you were brought up or you know your 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 environment that you were raised in and and whatever i get it but a lot of the things that we talk about too are um you know natural disasters if 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 i'm in point a my spouse is in point B and my kids are in point C and the cell phone tower goes out. What have I put in place to manifest them all to a location at a certain time and uh, ensure that we all get there, you know, and, and can account for each other. I mean, there's just so many variables to it. And uh, 
do you know the the word on the street as to why I didn't have a big turnout Saturday? What is that? We had a chocolate extravaganza here, local. <laughs> That's not you a joke. You lose the chocolate every time, buddy. Come on now. You, you know that if you ask a woman chocolate uh, or fame, they'll take the chocolate. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you but lose. I, I did. I lost. I lost miserably. But, uh, well, let me, you know, we're, we're rolling on right now 25 minutes, and I always try to keep these kind of in that window. I could talk to you for hours, as you know. <laughs> but uh, let me ask you, now Now you're, uh, we'll fast forward and, and cut through lots and lots of really, really cool stuff and get to the uh, the present. You're retired from military, right. retired from yeah. law enforcement, and... From your text uh, last week, a professional gambler, gambler, and uh... <laughs> yeah, I've, le- I've learned to pull the handle. I'm, I'm you know, I'm uh, an expert at it already. So you're just into the one-armed bandits. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to, uh, you know, expand my mind here. <laughs> see what the, uh, you know, the purpose of all this is. But no, we we have a lot of fun. Uh, we attend a lot of shows, things like that. That's so, so. In other words, you're uh, enjoying life. I am. I've, for once, I've finally turned off the afterburners and uh, just kind of uh, sit back and, and try and take things a little bit easier. That's hard. And, and being a AAA type personality that I am, it's, it's hard for me to do. But, oh, you know, one, one thing I'd say to, you know, if your young folks might be listening to this that are, you know, kind of saying, oh, God, you know, I, I can't deal with this. I can't handle this. You know, hang, hang in there. Just stay with it. This too shall pass, and and you will open the opportunities, the pathways, that will allow you to succeed. Now, you remember I told you about that place, how bad it was, where I first went to, and I was, I mean, I was, I was ready to scale the fences to get out of there. Right. And uh, the commander was a young first lieutenant, big, tall, lanky guy, and, and you know, I kind of got to know him a little bit. Nice fellow. Um, it's not like we were beer drinking buddies or anything like that, but you know, as a commander and as one of his troops, got to know him a little bit. Fast forward um, up until about uh, 1993, and at that time, I'm a major, and in walks the new commander of the criminal investigation division, the new general. And guess who he is? Who's that? That was the first lieutenant. That was my commander. Wow. <laughs> Now, don't don't never say never is what I'm trying to right, say. Right, right. And don't think that it, it it take every moment, even if it's a bad situation, and turn it into a good one. I had uh, a very seasoned non-commissioned officer tell me one time uh, when I was a, a lieutenant. He said, you know, I know you've been around the block a long time. know you've got a lot of experience. However, I mean, let me give you a bit of advice. Take the jobs that nobody else wants and perform your best because you got nowhere to go but up and in doing so you're going to come out ahead of the curve every time sound advice every time i tried to judge it but using that rod and uh it certainly uh, bode well for me and and i think if uh young folks out there will uh, look and do the same thing they'll find themselves and in a, at the end state, in a, a much better uh, maybe setting than they're currently at. Just accept it as being part of the overall training. 
all training is good. Even if it's bad training, it's good. You learn what not to do. Yeah, that's and a good make point. Make note of that and say, I'm, you know, I'm never going to be like that or I'm not going to do that because I'm going to find out the right way to do it or I'm going to handle it and then do it that way. Yeah, no, that's solid information. I uh, notice another common denominator with, with these folks, too, just kind of listening and, and watching and, and, and whatnot. And I think it's a common thing when you're 18. I, I know it was for me and it probably was for you as well, but you can't think past 19. You know, every <laughs> everything everything has to happen right now in the span of 12 months and your life will be over, you know, next year. And you oh, can't, yeah. you yeah, can't, it's... you can't wait for anything and it all has to happen right now. And, you know, what I try to tell them, uh, often, um, you know, on, on different social media platforms, folks will post stuff about, you know, why did I do this or blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the thing is, uh, you can't be a cop in the state of Missouri till you're 21. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I tell a lot of them is, you know, you've got a huge jump start on, on your classmates that just graduated with you who either have not left for college or they're in college doing all their prereqs and bussing tables at night, you know, somewhere. And, uh, you know, can you imagine what they're going to get in 18, 19, 20 uh, versus had they not gone in? Well, I can tell you that whenever, uh, and, and you knew that I held a lot of management positions. Oh, yeah. In the last few years in, in different departments, um, from federal all the way down. And I can tell you that uh, what I looked for was somebody with uh, military experience, someone who had walked the walk, and what I look for was that maturity level. Now, not everybody gains that. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that everybody goes to the military, comes out with uh, the, the battle plan for life. It doesn't happen that way. But a good percentage of them know how and what to do given uh, minimal or certain directions. They can improvise or have enough common sense to come back and say, hey, boss, I didn't quite grasp that. Can you kind of give me a little bit more to work with here? And, and don't feel afraid. So you want to use that plus your GI Bill. That gets you through and that gets you those college hours. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you have an opportunity while in the military and you can take college, even if it's one class, two classes, do it. Do it, do it. Take those things that will increase your career enhancement, your viability when you get out, and if that's what you choose to do. Again, more more sage advice. Let me ask you one more thing that wasn't part of my show notes, or this is more of a me to you. I probably would have asked you off uh, offline anyway. But um, you know, you see a lot of stuff in the news still today uh, pertaining to homeless vets mm-hmm. and and vets that uh, have been displaced, uh, whatnot. Is that more of and and again, forgive my ignorance. Is that more of a a problem with your era of of military than it is now, or no, is it it's, still? It's been it's it's been across the board. I can take you all the way back to the Civil War, and it's the same thing. It it's it's not a particular war. It's not uh, it, it's it's simply. Uh, a problematic issue where people are used to having those surrounding you. You have people that you count on, 
And I have friends that uh, that are from the military, you know, back to my first days, and and we still stay in touch. Mm-hmm. And when you lose that connectivity, and all of a sudden you're thrust out into the world, some people don't have the backup systems, the families they don't have, or they, they're carrying some element of guilt with them uh, because of what they did or didn't do in the military, perceived or real, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The fact is it becomes real to them, and they have a hard time assimilating back into the uh, hometown culture. And so the next thing you know, they're into alcohol, they're into drugs, or they're just roaming the streets, roaming the nation, and going from place to place. Um, one of my new taskers now that I try to infuse myself into in the church is to, you know, uh, we pick up bread every two weeks from a large bread company, and they give it out because it once it's prepared that day, they have to throw it out. Well, we take it to soup kitchens, and I make it a point to deliver in various locations throughout the area uh, to the homeless kitchens. And uh, there's there's a lot of a lot of folks out there that uh, that are vets that are just trying to get by. And given wow. the chance, sometimes they're able to reconstruct their lives. Some never make it. Yeah, I've known of guys to go to islands in the middle of the Pacific and don't want to have anything to do with anyone. Period. Uh, they want totally away from life in general. That's they're just they're burnt. Right. Well. I, I would like to think that, um, you know, I think just the tone and, and, and the support uh, in the last, well, at least since 9-11, I think has been a lot better and a lot more. Um, oh, my goodness, yes. Our nation is more supportive of our troops than I've ever seen it. But if you'll also look around, you start to see the war weariness where we as a nation are like, oh, my God, is that thing ever going to be over? Or they just kind of click it out of their mind, and, well, that's not happening to me, so therefore uh, it's of no significance. And, and that's what happened, you know, with Vietnam. It was something that turned, even though they turned the news on every night, we watched it. Uh, you know, I would sit there and look for my brother uh, in Vietnam, hoping he wasn't one of the numbers, soon to be one of the numbers. And... Uh, Unless you had some direct attachment with with a uh, type of system that we had back then where we had a draft, mm-hmm. it made everybody have an attachment. And right or wrong, that's part of the reason that uh, a lot of the people protest against the war then because of people, their loved ones or someone they knew were involved or had been killed during the conflict. Today we don't have a draft. It's strictly voluntary. And so um, there's a lot of uh, bad things about a draft. There's good things. You have to look at it. And and today, given the training parameters and requirements of everyone having access to all uh, elements of of, uh, branches of service, then women would be a prime target also to be drafted. So are are we as a nation, are we ready for this? Right. It's not that I'm saying not. I'm, I'm, I want him perfectly in support of it. I worked with the Israelis, and they have a you know they draft. They have people who come in and work uh, with uh, their military. They even have reserves. But the women are same as the men. No difference. 
Well, and even your European countries where, you know, it's mandatory that you do a, a one-year, I think it's one- or two-year service right out of high yeah, school. Depending on the country. Yeah, yeah. But uh, kind of where I was going with that is, you know, this big push of support with the Thin Blue Line. Um, you know, it's kind of 50-50 right now with the law enforcement as far as the public support. Um, you know, with, with the Ferguson thing and the this and that. But I, what, what I am trying to say with that is I still think that your folks transitioning from military, especially uh, military police, security forces, will still find that uh, civilian law enforcement has that close-knit camaraderie still uh, to a degree that, that they, they experienced in um, the military. Well, there is, and, and certain states uh, have a process in which you get out of the military if you receive certain hours of training and everything within, you know, going through the basic advanced individual, uh, basic and advanced individual training in military police, air police, security police, whatever you want to call them now. Uh, at the, the end of that, they can go to that state and they can literally test out, as you well know, and can receive their license in that state as a police officer. And, and normally they will have you take one, two, three weeks of addendum courses such as state law and That's things right. of that nature to right. uh, bring you up to the, the basic requirements. So don't look at it as for being for nothing. If you're a mindset, okay, I can, I want to go, I want to be a, a civilian cop. All right, you've already under path. You you you've already set. Uh, the fires to make it there you just have to complete it and again by taking more of more you just open more uh, doors for you whether it be if you got your degree when you walk out that door your bachelor's degree you can go FBI uh, US Marshals ATF DEA uh, and I can tell you I've worked with some of the finest people that I know of uh, police officers and a good portion of them uh, federal officers that were uh, military mm-hmm. at at some point uh, in their life, you know, had three years. It may not have been any more than just uh, a three or two year and got out and went back into that field. Only they were able to go through college and then become um, a federal officer. Right. Well, and I, I, you know, I say all the time, uh, if you're guarding an F four Phantom that hasn't flown since 1978. Don't get distraught because uh, there, there's there's light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> well, let me tell you what: if somebody gets hold of that F four Phantom, you'll wish to God. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah, trust me. Well, if you're guarding an F four, you're doing a, an important job because in in this day and age, it's totally possible somebody climbs in there or sabotages either right. way. Right, right, or and, just uh, just uh, you know we we don't have enough. Uh, aircraft online right now as it is because they're they're worn out, depleted, and we haven't reinvested into them. So what we have, you better treat it like gold. That's right. That's right. All right, kids. Well, I hope you were listening up to to Uncle Uncle Colonel John there, <laughs> and uh, we're we're hitting our uh, forty minute mark, so we went over a little bit. But Colonel John, I uh, appreciate you being my friend. I appreciate your service to our country both the uh, military and law enforcement and uh 
and I hope you, uh, well, I don't hope, I know you'll continue to to do good things because that's just your makeup. So we appreciate it, brother. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it for all the, the folks out there walking the line, whether it be the blue line or whether it's uh, in the military. Thank you. Uh, we do thank of you, honest to God, and wish the best for you. And, and we'll certainly, on my end of it, we'll support you no matter where you're at. Amen, brother. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate you being on the 10-6 uh, podcast. We're going to end our uh, our talk with Colonel John, and we'll be right back, getting ready to go 10-8. We'll talk to you guys soon. And that does it for the 10-6 podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, really, really appreciate Colonel John for coming on and sharing just a little bit of his story with us. He didn't he didn't even graze the surface, my friends. But uh, nonetheless, we appreciate him coming on. And uh, again, that does it for this episode. You guys have a great week. Be safe. God bless. And we are going 10-8. And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me defend her still today cause there ain't no doubt I love this land